Hello, I'm Marietz Maimann. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Introducing you to a wide range of wellness professionals ready to assist and inspire. Today's topic is, is intermittent fasting a magic bullet? My guest is Anita Hamilton-Williams, Functional Medicine Health Coach from Johannesburg. I'm so pleased to have you back on the show, Anita. Mariette, it's lovely to be back here. After our conversation, it will be fun question time. Anita, I'm sure people often ask you what a Functional Medicine Health Coach does. And for those listeners who haven't heard our other podcasts, could you please explain? Sure, Mariette. I help women predominantly but also men return to a state of balance and good health so we all have different health challenges different ways of eating um, different lifestyle habits that contribute to our overall health and often we can get out of balance due to stresses due to the way that we're eating and so i help individuals to return back to a state of balance really simple Yes, <laughs> thank you. Today we're looking at intermittent fasting, which has become quite a buzzword. What is the difference between fasting and intermittent fasting? And why is intermittent fasting so popular? Right, what a question. So I like to think of intermittent fasting as being a subset of fasting. And it's really to do with eating in a specific window of time. Also, it's also known as time-restricted eating. And the most popular time frame is usually between 12 to 16 hours. So what that essentially means is that you eat in an eight-hour window and then you fast in a 16-hour window. So let's say, for example, that your last meal of the day was at 6 p.m. in the evening. That is when you finish dinner. You then have the rest of your evening. You go to bed, you sleep, you wake up the next morning. And only at 10 o'clock the next morning would you break your fast and have something to eat. So that would be directly from after dinner, right the way through the night and into the morning up until 10 o'clock. And that would then be a 16-hour fast. And you will often see it written as two numbers. So, for example, 16-8 or 16 colon 8. So 16 meaning that's the number of hours that you're not eating. And 8 is the number of hours that you are eating. So intermittent fasting is really a subset of fasting because we can fast for longer periods of time with additional benefits. And I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit later on. But Essentially what you are doing when you bring in intermittent fasting is you are shifting the way that your body manages and responds to your metabolism. So we have um, a huge epidemic of metabolic syndrome or metabolic disease, which is really where blood sugar, uh, blood pressure, cholesterol and obesity is not able to be managed through normal mechanisms and you need some kind of intervention in order to be able to keep those particular areas within some kind of limit. And unfortunately, those areas, I'm just going to briefly mention them again. So it's blood sugar, cholesterol, being overweight, which can then lead to, lead to obesity. And that has become fairly normalized. I've heard on a couple of occasions with my clients when they come to me is they will say that if any of those markers are out of balance or are elevated, then they are told that it's just part of the normal aging process. And it's not part of the normal aging process. Um, certainly as we age, the body starts to function not as well as it was earlier on, but we don't have to have dysregulated blood sugar or high blood pressure or high cholesterol just because we are getting older. And some quite alarming statistics, there's, there's one from the, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, 
that says that currently 41% of women over the age of 21 are obese, which is quite horrifying. 45% have got elevated blood sugar. One in two will get cancer. One in five will get Alzheimer's. One in eight will have thyroid disease. One in nine will have diabetes. 80% of diagnosed autoimmune diseases are found in women. So women collectively are really suffering from metabolic disease. And you will find that in almost every instance of any form of chronic long-term disease, so whether you're looking at um, autoimmune or cancers or thyroid, that you are looking at a level of metabolic dysfunction first. And what intermittent fasting does is it helps us to get this, these metabolic, these key areas of metabolism in our body back under control again and helps us to regulate our weight, helps us to regulate blood pressure, helps us to regulate our cholesterol. So that is why it has become so popular. I think that the other reason is that if you think of, if you think of being overweight and you're wanting to change your eating, you're wanting to change your habit, or even if you're wanting to change any kind of area related to your health, two of the barriers that often come up are time and money. And intermittent fasting does not cost you anything, and it does not take up more of your time. And so there is a very reduced barrier to entry in order to introduce something like metabolic fasting. That sounds very sensible. You've mentioned several conditions that can be addressed by intermittent fasting, I suppose, often with, with other things in place. Aside from weight loss, are there any other benefits to be gained from fasting? Okay, so there are a huge number of benefits to be gained from it. Um, what's important to understand is that we've got two ways that our body manages our fuel systems and the creation of energy. The one is through sugar, which is through blood glucose. So um, carbohydrates get converted into starches and sugars get converted into glucose. And we, our body can use that glucose as fuel in order to provide energy. But we can also get energy from fat. So we have these two very different sources of, um, of energy that we can have access to. When we tap into our fat supplies, then our body produces something known as ketones. And you may have heard the term ketones when, because there's also quite a popularity around the ketogenic diet. And ketones generally are produced when the body has been in a fasted state for about eight hours. So if you go to bed and you haven't had a snack just before you go to bed, or you don't wake up in the middle of the night and have a snack, then that fasted state during the middle of the night, your body should automatically be able to shift into this state where it taps into your fat stores in order to provide energy whilst you are sleeping. And then once again, when you wake up in the morning and you start having food, then your body can switch back to sugar. And you should be able to move in and out of these states fairly easily, almost like a metabolic switch. Unfortunately, we don't move because of the, the diet that surrounds us and that we are faced with, we don't move into this metabolic switching state very easily anymore. And what happens is when our blood sugar gets elevated, we can find that we are unable then to tap into our fat stores. And we then find we have these hypoglycemic, we have this low blood sugar moments, um, the blood and our blood sugar becomes incredibly dysregulated. So Part of intermittent fasting is being able to have this metabolic switching between sugar and fat. And now if we have a look at, well, what comes after intermittent fasting? When we fast for longer periods of time, there is an extended benefit to the body. Um, there was a, in the New England Journal of Medicine in December 2019, there was a meta-analysis done of over 85 different studies on fasting and intermittent fasting. And the recommendation was that intermittent fasting should be used as the first line treatment in obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, 
neurodegenerative brain conditions, and cancer. It also has an anti-aging effect and it helps with pre and post-surgery recovery. So what we see as a result of intermittent fasting is total body fat percentage reduction, reduced visceral fat, so that's fat around the organs, our waist circumference decreases, lowered levels of blood pressure, lower levels of LDL cholesterol, and lower levels of HbA1c, which is a blood glucose um, monitoring level. And this, really interestingly enough, is even so in the case of eating the same food, but only in an eight-hour window. So if, for example, you had to lay out all the food that you generally eat in a day, and you find that you probably spread that over a period of 12 hours, if you took that same amount of food, the same quantity, exactly the same foods, and you ate that within an eight-hour window, you would start to see these significant changes, which is really quite mind-blowing. So it's not so much what you are eating, but when you are eating. However, I do want to have a caveat there to say that if you are eating highly refined foods, processed foods, sugary foods, and you also improve that, if that's part of your regular diet and you also improve that, you're going to have additional benefits. So we are looking at a big shift in in metabolic switching. We also see that um, because of the production of ketones, Ketones repairs nervous tissue and starts to regenerate neurons. And this can lead to things like improved memory, more clarity and focus. And in fact, for a lot of people, one of the reasons why they like to be in ketosis is specifically because they are chasing this feeling of of having this better mental clarity and mental focus and and limitlessness almost. So that particular feeling is something that will often drive people to want to continue to stay in ketosis. One of the things that ketosis will do, or even the the production of of ketones, is to switch off the hunger signal in the hypothalamus, which then allows you to continue in your fasted state for longer. Your mitochondria, which are your energy production factories in your body, love ketones. So um, the ability for your mitochondria to work better is highly improved from that. And then also ketones help to promote the release of a neurotransmitter called GABA. And GABA will allow, it's almost like an anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. It's calming and relaxing and the production of ketones through fasting will produce this. So we've got metabolic fasting, we've got ketone production and its benefits in the brain. Another area is it increases something in the body called autophagy. Autophagy, I'm going to spell it, A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y. Autophagy means self-eating. And what autophagy does is it detoxes, it repairs, and it removes dead cells in the body. So there's a uh, Dr. Asumi won the Nobel Prize in medicine in 2016 for his research on autophagy and the absence of food and how that makes our cells get stronger and not weaker. So when the body is not going through a level of digestion, it is able to then focus on cleaning up what is going on, removing dead cells, removing damaged cells, And really, it's almost like a bit of a a reboot to the body. There was a paper released in 2020, not so long ago, on the benefits of autophagy as a tool for priming immune system to fight coronavirus. And what we know is that viruses have got no energy of its own. They need to invade a cell in order to get energy and to replicate. And so when a virus enters a cell and is able to feed on the glucose that is contained in that cell, and it gains energy, it can then multiply and replicate and start to grow, and that's when we end up having some form of, of, um, of illness. If cells are in a state of autophagy, the virus will lose energy, there is nothing for it to feed on, it shuts down, and in fact what a virus will do is if it enters a cell where there is sugar, it will actually shut off the body's ability 
to go into autophagy. So the virus will prevent your cells from going into autophagy because the virus is there to promote its own survival. And it knows that if it goes into autophagy, it will actually be killed. So fasting can restore this autophagy and will help us to reduce viral replication. So we've got three areas now. Then if we look at um, detoxification, when we are exposed to... There was a previous podcast that I did with you yes. on, on detoxification and how we, we can't escape the toxins in our 21st century environment. And um, if we can use an inbuilt tool like autophagy in order to help our bodies to detoxify, then it's really good to know that that is something that autophagy can support is for our bodies to detoxify. And on that note... That would also mean that for some women, it may not be a great idea to get into a stage of autophagy, depending on the level of your health. I'm thinking of women that are pregnant. I'm thinking of women that are breastfeeding or for women that are going through maybe cancer treatment at the time or going through autoimmune flares because they're going to release a load of toxins in the body. And then the body has to, you don't want that going into the baby. You don't want that going into the breast milk. You don't want your body dealing with that additional load or that additional burden. So um, autophagy is wonderful to do that. But I would say that be very aware of whether it's right for you at this particular age and stage of your life. The other thing that fasting will do is it will help to repair your mitochondria. So mitochondria being the energy production factories. And um, when it repairs the mitochondria, what it will do is eliminate dysfunctional or damaged mitochondria. So it will repair the mitochondria and it will eliminate dysfunctional and damaged mitochondria. And that will help to reduce inflammation. And some of the symptom improvement that we've seen has been around muscle weakness or chronic fatigue. Impairments in vision or in hearing have improved as a result of that. Um, overall GI function, liver function. So a huge improvement and increase through that ability of fasting to trigger uh, mitochondrial repair. Then we also see a decrease in glycogen and insulin stores. So glycogen is the storage form of glucose. Your body needs a very small amount of glucose in order to function and to circulate in your body at any one point in time. In fact, it's around a teaspoon, one teaspoon in the entire body at any point in time in order to provide the right level of, of glucose. Any more than that needs to be stored as glycogen and the body will store it first in muscles it'll then store it also in liver and then it'll store it in fat so if there's too much blood glucose muscles liver and fat is where it will go to and this is where we can pick up excess weight muscles if we've got glycogen stored in muscles that is generally not a problem because we are using our muscles during the day or through exercise and so we can use up that level of of, of glycogen store um, because your glycogen stores need to be depleted before you're going to necessarily tap into fat stores. So then if we look at the liver, this is where we often see with individuals with blood sugar dysregulation, where they have a condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or a fatty liver, because fat has been stored um, in the liver. And because the liver is such an important organ in the body it's responsible for hundreds of functions in the body we don't want it to burden with additional amounts of fat and so um, the ability for fasting to be able to reduce the amounts of fat stored in the liver is a real benefit and then we also have general fat storage fat storage on our body because we may not be eating the right kind of foods and that also then starts to come off um, through fasting another area fasting will trigger is um, it increases growth hormone which is the the hormone that provides the fountain of youth it generally tends to decline after the age of about 30 but growth hormone allows us to burn fat especially in the midsection it helps to keep um, our brain growing 
and healthy, and it also helps with muscle growth. So we see increased levels of growth hormone when we, when we start fasting. We are also able to reset our dopamine pathways. And this I'm really very intrigued by, because if you think of the amount of, of dopamine triggers that are in our environment today, I'm specifically thinking about things like social media. And we have become a society which is largely driven by these dopamine hits, whether it comes from food or whether it comes from other sources. And the idea that one can reset your dopamine levels, because we all have a, a dopamine baseline, and when you continually stimulate dopamine, then that's what your body comes to expect and then you continually need to provide that same level of stimulus so whether it's through food whether it's through social media whether it's through you know other thrill seeking adventures that's that's an area i find quite intriguing the way to do your dopamine reset is generally around 48 hours so that is a long period of time I haven't got there yet, but that's certainly something that I'm very keen to, to what do. What do you mean by 48 hours? So that is fasting. That oh, is for, nothing for, for 48 hours. Correct. Oh, my goodness. So that, that's why I say there's a difference between fasting and intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is the you are allowed to eat food during a certain window. Yes. Fasting, there is no food. Yes. And it generally needs to be controlled. You know, it's not something that you just decide today, oh, I think tomorrow I'm going to do 48 hours of fasting. That would be quite foolish, um, and you would probably end up causing more harm than good. It's something that you would need to work with a practitioner who's familiar with what one needs to do in order to get into that process. Okay. A couple of other areas that fasting improves is your immune system, um, and this is a what we've seen in a 72-hour fast, this is research from Dr. Walter Longo, who's done research on chemotherapy patients that had damaged white blood cells, decimated white blood cells, incredibly low. And after three days of a water fast, the stem cells were released, which then allowed the production of additional white blood cells and to regulate the immune system. So that's an even longer fast, that's 72 hours. And then lastly, the other area that I want to bring in is around improving the microbiome. It also helps to improve the microbiome. We, Our microbiome, um, as you may have heard me mention before, is a collection of microbes that lives in our body. We have probably around 4,000 microbes, 90% of which live in our gut. And they are responsible for things like um, regulating our weight loss. In fact, there's two quite abundant groups of microbes, the bacterioidetes and the firmicutes. Sound almost like a, a science fiction tale here. But if an individual has got more firmicutes in their gut, then their body will store more fat. So you can have two individuals eating exactly the same food in a day, but if the one individual has got more firmicutes in their gut, they will pick up weight and the other individual won't. So the, the level of gut balance is really significant for, for weight loss, also important for clearing estrogen. It's also important for making neurotransmitters in our brain. Fasting will help to reset the microbiome. And there is also um, actually one, one other area I want to bring in because it's really important. And that is it reduces the reoccurrence of cancer. There was a, a paper in, the, in 2016, the Journal of American Medical Association. They released an observational study that looked at over 2,000 women between the ages of 27 and 70 that had been through conventional breast cancer treatment. And after an analysis of four years, the researchers found that when women fasted for 13 hours or more, which is not a long time, 13 hours, they had a 64% less chance of recurrence of breast cancer. Um, you can't get a drug that will give you that level of success. And the reason for that is lower levels of HbA1c, which is your blood glucose levels, and lower levels of C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker. And those lower levels then contribute to this 
really, really significant decrease in, in the recurrence of that. So if we look at if we look at fasting, we've got intermittent fasting, 12 to 16 hours. We've got autophagy, which starts at 17 hours. We've got a gut reset, which starts at 24 hours. Um, dopamine, 48 hours. And immune, 72 hours. Okay, so let's shift back to intermittent fasting, because that is, I'm sure, where most of your listeners are going to be most interested in. Yes, I must say I'm fascinated by the extent of the research mm. and by the good news that comes from the research. Yes, bearing in mind that it doesn't cost you anything and it's not going to take up any additional time. And it's really thought, you know, it's, it's probably got... A significant amount to do with the fact that if we look at us genetically as hunter-gatherers, we are used to and our bodies are geared towards feast and famine. And so these cycles of feast and famine seem to be really beneficial to us. Thank you, Anita. Another question, when it comes to intermittent fasting, what is the difference between men and women? Okay, so... When we are looking at the difference between men and women, what we are wanting to understand is, does hormones play a role in the ability to be successful um, and get an advantage with intermittent fasting? With men, they have a very stable hormone pattern. Men have testosterone, they do have smaller amounts of other hormones, but their primary hormone being testosterone which is released in about 15-minute cycles and just continues day in, day out, day in, day out, a very, very smooth, even path. However, when we look at women, we have to consider that we have testosterone, we also have estrogen, and we also have progesterone. And so we have to take into account the shift in the hormonal balance for women where we don't have to for men. And this is why you may often see a couple where the husband and wife decide to do intermittent fasting and the man starts following it and finds he has incredible success and loses a huge amount of weight, starts to feel all of the benefits that I've described up till now. And the woman is fine maybe initially, but eventually over time it becomes... Um, she starts getting additional symptoms like maybe her sleep starts to get worse or possibly her hair starts to fall out or she starts getting increased amounts of anxiety. And it's to do with the fact that her body needs different things at different times in terms of the hormone production that it's going through. And so this is where we see this big difference between men and women. For men, intermittent fasting because of their hormones very easy and simple to do you just do the same thing all the time for women you need to change the way that you do intermittent fasting or else there is a very high possibility that after a couple of months three months four months six months nine months you will find that this lifestyle is not suitable for you long term and what I think you can definitely do is to find a way of intermittent fasting that you can follow as a lifestyle, but you need to take into account your hormonal shifts in order to do that. And would a functional medicine health coach like yourself be able to accompany a woman through, through that in a wise way? Absolutely, absolutely. Bearing in mind, I think I may have also mentioned this before, we are all unique. If you have a cycle of 28 days or once somebody has a cycle of 35 days, there's a different way you would approach that. If somebody has a thyroid disease, somebody has adrenal, um, they have very low adrenal function and their cortisol is dysregulated, you would work with that individual differently. The same for someone with an autoimmune condition. So you would need to tailor that for the individual. And fortunately for men, you don't need to. You can just continue, you know, in basically in, in, in one way. Obviously, if a man has got thyroid disease, you would have to take that into account. I'm speaking, you know, broadly here. Yes. Very good to know, because if a couple goes onto this uh, lifestyle together, then they are forewarned. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And generally, that is what will happen. You're not going to have a couple that are going to be totally out of sync in terms of, of eating, 
because you know you want to eat together at the same time maybe breakfast can be shifted but you want to generally be able to eat at similar times and so understanding what needs to shift for the woman in order to be supportive for her is really helpful in it being then a lifestyle that you can both continue rather than something that you try and it, yeah it worked initially but eventually it just doesn't didn't work for me now I need to go and look for something else or try something else yes how should women who are still menstruating approach intermittent fasting and how should menopausal women approach intermittent fasting okay so what becomes important is understanding the flow the ebb and flow of hormones throughout the month and it's a pity this is audio because i would love to show a picture of what the hormone cycle fluctuation is like i think um some women might be surprised to know that your hormones fluctuate on a day-to-day -day level it's not a case of i'm producing estrogen and then we have this constant level of estrogen for a certain amount of time and then we produce progesterone and that's a constant level it's continually moving up and down, which is why it's also really important if you are having a blood draw to know what day of your menstruating cycle you are on. Really? Because that then will give you a better indication as to where you are in your cycle and what hormones you are actually producing. So if you have to measure your, your estrogen or progesterone levels, they're going to change on a, on a daily basis. So if we look at, and this is important for both menstruating women as well as menopausal women to understand, is the production of hormones that we create. So from, from days, if we say that day one is the first day of our menstruation, then from day one to day 10, we are producing estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, and they are all at their lowest level. The brain starts signaling that the ovaries need to release an egg. And so then the production of hormones starts to increase. And what we first see increasing is estrogen. Estrogen starts to build until it reaches its peak around mid-ovulation, which is around about day 13. And what we see in this day 1 to day 10, in this slow buildup of estrogen, is Physically and mentally, we feel good. We have a production of collagen, which keeps our skin young and supple. Um, and this production of collagen also helps to keep our bones strong and our ligaments strong, which is why when we think of women that have gone into menopause and we don't have these increased levels of estrogen, the skin is not quite as young and supple and the wrinkles occur. And um, we are more prone to injury with exercise because we don't have that level of estrogen protecting the bones and the ligaments anymore. So estrogen will help to put you in a good mood. It gives you clarity of thought, enhances communication, and you feel fairly optimistic about life. That's what estrogen does. Days 1 to 10. Days 11 to 15 is your ovulation, where estrogen and testosterone are most important. You feel powerful and strong from the balance of estrogen and testosterone at the time. And also let me say is that there are certain foods that you should be eating that promote the natural production of estrogen and testosterone during this time. So if you were doing intermittent fasting and you're also including the foods that naturally make estrogen, that naturally produce progesterone, you're going to further extend the benefits of, of the intermittent fasting. Okay, that's days 11 to 15 ovulation. Days 16 to 18, all the hormones dip, and you're going to feel much like you did in the first week from days 1 to 7. Um, but now your body starts ramping up and producing progesterone. And from days 19 to when you start your period, this is when your body is starting to produce progesterone. And progesterone's job is to prepare the lining of the uterus in order to accept a fertilized egg. And the way that progesterone makes us feel, it's a very calm, relaxing hormone. It will probably make you feel more like sitting on the couch and chilling rather than going out and doing things or being very productive. 
or you know don't really want to socialize too much just prefer to stay in this is naturally what you feel when you've got these levels of of progesterone and this is a really important phase to be aware of when you are fasting because progesterone is highly influenced by cortisol and if you do if you are experiencing higher levels of cortisol and I'm going to touch on why we would be experiencing that but when you experience high levels of cortisol which is your stress hormone during these days this 19 to the start of your um, of your period you are likely to have lower levels of progesterone and these lower levels of progesterone are then going to cause a lot of the symptoms that we see in women with heavy periods where you've got the mood swings, where you've got the irritability, where you've got, you know, maybe excessive bleeding, where you're not sleeping well, where you're feeling anxious, because these are all symptoms of low levels of progesterone, and by implication, estrogen is higher. Okay, and once again, like I mentioned with estrogen and testosterone, there are also very specific foods that you eat that can help to produce your progesterone. Now, what's important to know is that let's consider what would elevate cortisol during this progesterone phase. We obviously can have significant life events that are unavoidable and we just have to manage our way through that. But things like excessive exercise or pushing yourself too much during this particular phase and fasting are going to give you higher levels of cortisol which is then going to drop your progesterone so don't fast the week before your period as even minor spikes of cortisol are going to impact your levels of production and cause it to reduce and this is really important for women that are in the perimenopausal phase because in perimenopause your progesterone levels are naturally declining and so you do not want to do anything in that build-up week that raises your cortisol level, which is going to make your progesterone levels reduce even further. Now, what's interesting to note is that estrogen is impacted when glucose and insulin are high, and progesterone is impacted when cortisol is high. And so... When we are eating in a pattern that supports estrogen, we want to be eating a lower carbohydrate diet. And when we are eating to support progesterone, we want to be eating a higher carbohydrate diet. So there's a definite switch in when we are doing that. So if we look at the cascade of hormones, cortisol will impact progesterone. Cortisol will also raise insulin. So stress can cause higher insulin levels. Poor dietary choices can cause higher insulin levels. So if we can get cortisol to stay at a lower level, we are going to be protecting our estrogen levels and we're going to be protecting our progesterone levels. So the question is, what helps keep cortisol low? And there is a hormone that helps keep cortisol low. And that hormone, I'm sure we've all heard of it. It's not as commonly spoken about, but it's called oxytocin. And oxytocin will help to calm cortisol. If we have a woman that is under chronic stress and that is high levels of insulin resistance or prediabetes, balancing her estrogen and progesterone will absolutely not happen. So in order to get your hormones balanced, you have to address your insulin and your cortisol levels. So if we look at how do we bring in more oxytocin, because we know oxytocin helps to calm our cortisol levels, a couple of ways we can do this is hugging, talking with your best friend, laughing, playing with a pet, doing a hobby that you enjoy, saying I love you to someone, being in gratitude, sex, masturbation, meditation, yoga, massage, deep, meaningful conversations with a friend. All of these things 
help our mind and our body to feel safe and loved and that the crisis is over. And a lot of these things, I think many of us view as being frivolous and a waste of time and something that uh, we don't really need on a day-to-day basis. But if you know that doing these things on a daily basis can help to calm your cortisol level, which is so important to to balancing your stress hormones. And this is why all of these things are far more important for a woman than they are for a man. Because a man doesn't need to balance his hormones in the same way that a woman needs to balance her, her hormones. So I really encourage women to bring in as much of these any activity that brings in increased levels of oxytocin because this is the hormone that is going to help them downstream in balancing so many things. That's fascinating. So it's not just a nice to have. Absolutely. It's not just a nice to have. And how many of us just think, oh, you know, what, what is the impact really? How is it really going to be helping me? Well, the science shows us that it can help us and it helps us in a really significant way. I think there are some women who are going to send their husbands to you <laughs> to get this talk. Yes. Oh, and one, one, one other thing is that I have also um, experienced that intermittent fasting with women that are in menopause, even though they don't have that same um, hormonal flow as women that are in menstrual cycle have, what I have seen it do is to help reduce things like lingering hot flashes, that occur every now and then, um, stubborn weight gain or belly fat, levels of anxiety, and even sleeplessness. And so following that same cycle for for menopausal women is equally as important. The difference in, in the way that she would go about it is that she could start on any day because she doesn't have a period. So she could just pick that, but then she would follow exactly the same approach, focusing on building up estrogen and then not fasting and eating more foods that um, support more of the production of progesterone and making sure that her stress levels are down during that particular phase. And within a period of probably three months, you will start to see that hormonal shift and a a significant benefit there. What exactly do you mean by not fasting? You said, I think you are now talking about the week that precedes menstruation. Yes, yes. So... If you're following the intermittent fasting of of 16-8, so we're fasting for 16 hours and eating in an eight-hour window. From day 19 to the first day of your menstruation, if you're a cycling woman, or even if if you're a menopausal woman, you're not going to do intermittent fasting. So you would have breakfast at whatever time you wanted to. You're not going to push your body into that fasted state because you don't want to potentially increase levels of cortisol during that phase because levels of cortisol are then going to impact the production of progesterone and then that's going to cause downstream problems. So there is no fasting during that Mm -hmm. time. Might that mean that that if you are so used to intermittent fasting that you don't become hungry, you know, before the usual time, does that mean that you would say to yourself you have to eat now whether you're hungry or not? I think that the way that you can do that is to um, have something have something in the morning that includes a protein and a fat so that the fast is broken, but it doesn't have to be a big meal. Oh. So it can be something really small just to break the fast so that your body doesn't spark insulin, mm. um, but certainly doesn't have to be a meal. Because, mm. yes, mm. You, would, you would get into a rhythm of, I don't eat breakfast till 10 or till 11 or till midday, whatever you know works for your body. And then every month when you're shifting out of that, that habit may be um, not easy to to break. And for a postmenopausal woman, would she assume this cycle to last for 28 days or how would she go about it? Because she wouldn't have the indications. Yeah, she wouldn't have that. I would say to start with 28 days. And this is where it's helpful to work with somebody because they can track exactly what you are doing. The other thing that's really useful to have, and this is more for women whose 
glucose is fairly dysregulated going into this is a continuous glucose monitor for a period of two weeks because you can then monitor what spikes your cholesterol because your blood sugar is going to shift. You can monitor what breaks your fast because for, for many people, for myself, for example, um, if I have a cup of black coffee in the morning, it doesn't break my fast at all. So I can still get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and then only have something to eat after 10, which is when I would generally break my, my fast. But for some women, they, they may break their fast when they have a cup of coffee. So to have this continuous glucose monitor for a period of two weeks so that we can really fine-tune exactly what works for you from a fasting perspective is a way to fine-tune it. It may not be necessary in the early days, but to fine-tune it and find what works for you ongoing is ideal. And as a general rule, you were now mentioning black coffee. Would that mean that white coffee would break the fast anyway? Um, milk contains milk sugar and it contains protein. So there's a potential for the milk sugar to spike your blood sugar and then your body would then start using sugar again for fuel and you wouldn't be using ketones and you wouldn't be getting the benefits of that. Oh, thank you. Just a quick explanation of what I do. I'm a content entrepreneur creating podcasts and articles for my own platform and for various magazines and digital platforms. My website contains a growing collection of content on emotional and physical health, parenting, love relationships and the life challenges and stages we all face. Each episode or article showcases a therapist, coach or other wellness professional so you can get to know them and easily find an expert who will resonate with you, should you need one. I've interviewed more than 100 well-being providers from different countries. After all, online therapy and coaching means we can connect across continents. If you enjoy getting a glimpse of the person behind the professional, click on Up Close and Personal on my website for articles on many of the experts I've featured. And if you're a wellness professional interested in being my podcast guest or being featured in an article on my platform or perhaps in a South African magazine, take a look at services on my website and send me an email. Now, back to my guest. Now, if somebody would like to start with intermittent fasting and they don't know where to start, what is the best way to approach this? Okay, so I'm going to give you three uh, recommendations that, that you can start. Is eat the same food that you are currently eating, but only eat it in an eight-hour window. So start at that, at that point. I'm not asking you to change your diet initially. So 16 hours of fasting with an eight-hour window. Calculate what you are currently doing. You may be doing 12, you may be doing 13, and every day push it by an hour until you've got to the stage where you are doing 16 and 8. It is better to have a later breakfast than to have a later dinner because going to bed within two hours of eating dinner can stop the body from digestion and it can cause weight gain. So I would not recommend eating dinner at eight o'clock and then only having breakfast at midday the following day. I would rather have dinner at six o'clock and have breakfast at 10 o'clock. But everyone is different. You can try it. But as a starting point, eat the same food, do it in an eight-hour window, push from 12. If you're fasting for 12 hours now, push it to 13 hours, do that for a few days, then push it to 14, push to 15. Remember that ketones are produced in your body after eight hours, and ketones will help to switch off that hunger in your brain and your hypothalamus. 
So don't think, I'm going to have to white knuckle it through. It'll be probably challenging for the first few days, but really thereafter, it becomes quite easy. So surprisingly your body easy. becomes used to it. Becomes used to it. So that's, that's the first one. Then the second is, is to eat for your hormones, eat to support your hormones. So for estrogen, you want to focus more on healthy fats and nuts, seeds, legumes, fruits and veg. For the production of progesterone, you want to focus on root vegetables, so um, squashes and sweet potatoes, potatoes, carrots, those things with more carbohydrates in. Tropical fruits are fine, seeds, legumes, cruciferous vegetables, those are all really good for the build-up and production of, of progesterone. And then the last tip is the importance of including joy in your daily life in order to produce oxytocin and to help to keep your cortisol levels down. Thank you, Anita. That My was pleasure. very, very informative. Where can listeners learn more about your work? So you can find me on my website at myhealingspace.co.za. I am likely going to be running some intermittent fasting groups this year in 2024. And if you're interested in that, just pop me an email or sign up for my newsletter and you'll hear about it in my newsletter. Thank you. May I ask you a fun question? Absolutely, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's a simple one. If you were a gemstone, Anita, which one would you like to be? So I, I do believe in, in using your intuition and going with what first flashes in your mind. I'm looking at you wearing the most beautiful blue shirt. Um, and what crossed my mind was sapphire. And I'm not sure whether I saw the blue on your shirt or whether, or whether it flashed in my mind for, for another reason. Um, I love sapphire. I think, the, I think the blue reminds me of the, the sky, the ocean. Um, anything linked to nature for me is a win. So I would go with sapphire. Thank you, Anita. That would suit your eyes too. Thank you. So Thank you for all these insights. I had many questions and I think I have a very good idea now. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Better grasp on it. Thank you, Mariette. I really enjoy chatting with you in these sessions. And to our listeners, it was good of you to join us. I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe to Calm, Clear and Helpful and rate it where you download your podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, Kindly share it with someone you care about. Go to my website www.marietsneiman.co.za for this episode's podcast notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on how to live a happier life and have more fulfilling relationships. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman, Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me with original music by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.